This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. I've watched enough Bon Appetit and Great British Bake Off that I sort of know how it will behave. And we're like 50% to 75% nicer than Paul Hollywood. So like, honestly, (laughs) you're in good hands. Hey there, listeners, future callers, and cooking enthusiasts. This is Dinner SOS, the show where we help you save dinner, or whatever you're cooking. I'm Chris Morocco, food director of Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Chances are that in the last couple of years, you know somebody, or maybe many somebodies, who have gone gluten-free. And that can sometimes mean missing out on favorite foods. Like, for example, our caller Caitlin's husband, who hasn't had a real pizza in years. Caitlin has been trying to find the perfect pizza crust to help her now gluten-free husband experience great pizza again. I use a pizza stone. It could be ripping hot. It's in the oven for, you know, 45 minutes before I start. And the cheese is bubbly and brown and gorgeous, but somehow the middle is still soggy. We're going to solve Caitlin's pizza problem later this episode. But before we do, I wanted to go a bit deeper on what gluten is doing in your favorite baked goods and why just substituting gluten-free flour in a standard pizza dough recipe won't cut it. Joining me to unpack this is food editor and my frequent co-host, Shilpa Skokovic. Okay. Shilpa, mm. just close your computer. You don't even need it right yeah, now. Yeah, anyway. I figured. I figured. Okay. Yes. okay, I'm done. You know why? Because mm. we're talking about gluten, mm. and the answers aren't in there. No, I mean, just okay. Better. You seriously need to close that now. <clears throat> okay, I'm better now. So, Shilpa, yes, continue. Caitlin is the caller. Mm. Her husband um, can no longer eat gluten, mm. and she was trying to make pizza at home gluten-free pizza at home, but she was doing that flatbread hack where you do a kind of like she was doing gluten-free flour blend, but with yogurt, you know, like that sort of like yogurt flatbread situation. We've done this. Stop. Why are you looking at me like that? I don't know. I've never heard of this gluten-free yogurt flatbread, but continue. All right. Well, I'm going to pull (laughs) If I had my computer open, which we're not (laughs) doing, which we're definitely not doing, I would show you. you. We've like done this multiple times as a brand. We've done, okay, fine. Yes, the yogurt flatbread. Okay, yeah. fine. I understood. I thought I'm sorry. You, what? what <laughs> thought, how did we go from there to there? I, I said you, the same exact thing with no, the same slightly pissed free, off intonation, no, you and suddenly glu- you got said, it. You said gluten free yogurt flatbread. Well, because yeah, okay, 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 okay. All right. So Caitlin, the lack of internet took, is still right. pissing me off. So clearly, Caitlin okay, took the yogurt ah, flatbread yes. kind mm-hmm. of hack mm. thing and used gluten-free flour in it and was able to make pizza of sorts, but that really didn't perform. Mm. What was the issue? I think it was she. It didn't like mm. actually get crispy. Yeah, you know. So anyway, she's she's kind of looking for a win here. Yeah. You know. Because gluten is necessary. It provides structure. It's like... Talk to us about that. What does that look like? <laughs> I 
feel like you set me up for this no, episode I, in, like, in a nice way because you know I'm that trying I'm to give you such a solid way would, in. No, I think I'm, it's I'm commending you on it. You're still freaked out about the Wi-Fi <laughs> situation, am, am, and you haven't recovered. And I need you here okay, now here. with me and Jake and Peyton here. and Leah Kasher, who's probably not even in there, and <laughs> Amar Lal, who's mixing this episode even as we speak, just mixing away, I'm mix, here. mix, mix. Okay. I'm here. I'm here. You're here. I'm here. All right. Okay. So if gluten is the enemy, mm. how can it also be our friend? Most baked goods require the structure that gluten provides. Um, it's a protein that activates when you introduce water. Or actually, it's two different proteins that join together when you add water. Um, and then they form this bond, which forms kind of like a net. Think of it like a mesh net that forms together. And that net holds everything together, holds all of the rest of your ingredients together. And as um, in the case of bread, for instance, um, as the yeast works and the carbon dioxide builds up, the air gets trapped within that net. And that's how it provides structure and shape to your It expands bread. in the heat of the oven. And then yes. sort of sets. And those bubbles expand. And right. if it didn't have the gluten network to get caught in, the bubbles would just collapse. It would be flat, which is why you need gluten to provide. I feel like I've said structure 15 times. Somebody look up the synonym for structure, but. Yeah. Well, and, and that's true whether you're talking about a dough, like a yeasted dough, or whether you're talking about a batter, like a cake batter. Correct? Yes, anything. I mean, which is why gluten-free baking can be challenging. Um, sure, if you start talking about breads which require um, a lot of gluten and which are generally made with high-protein wheat flour, uh, it's very challenging. But even for things like cakes and cookies, some amount of gluten is essential, um, which is why in a lot of gluten-free baking it can be challenging to create that structure and create the crumb and you would have to introduce something else, which binds everything together. And so when we're talking about gluten-free baking, and let's just, you know, let's talk specifically about like a bread dough mm. or a pizza dough. Mm. If you remove gluten, yeah, what is making up the difference? Well, we just went into what gluten does. It provides this, like, structure and elasticity. That's fine. That's fine. Um, but it provides this framework, um, if you will. So when you remove that, you have to introduce something else. In, in, in its absence, you have to introduce something else, um, which is typically a binder or something that will hold the rest of the ingredients together in a way that they form an elastic network, which can trap bubbles. Similarly, so it's not a one-to-one in terms of removing gluten and simply introducing something else. Is that fair to say? Or you, or is it functioning much the same way in terms of, you know, air is expanding within this network during the baking process mm -hmm. and getting, you know, sort of setting in this more aerated, more opened up shape? It's the same whether you have gluten or not gluten, but point being you're going with like a gluten-free approach, mm. you have to have something that's going to trap that yes. air, Correct. form that network, that Correct. sort of structure. Correct. How is it doing it without gluten? It's because it's it's just simply creating bonds within the mixture? Yes. It's something, think of it like a glue. And typically, that's why in most gluten-free baking, you see something like xanthan gum or psyllium husk, uh, both of which are capable of binding with water. And mm 
making this gel, which can expand um, and hold um, air within that network. What I appreciated about Caitlin is that mm. even as a lay person, she knew she was trying to solve a very specific problem. And yes. her feeling was she really wanted to achieve a dough yeah. that would perform the way she wanted it to, mm. to build it on a peel, transfer it to a hot stone in an oven, mm. right? And have it bake up crispy and chewy, right? That's yeah. what she wanted. That was the goal. And I think the real question for Caitlin is like, how hard is she willing to work for it? Because, you know, even pizza with gluten, I mean, there's people who devote their lives oh, yeah. to the study of it, mm -hmm. right? And are probably still learning to this day. And I, I think... You know, for somebody who isn't looking to make this their life, how can they achieve something that they're really happy with, but yeah. that's not going to drive them crazy? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good point that you brought up, that there are, even with pizza, which has gluten in it, um, it takes a long time to make it right, and people do dedicate their lives to it. Um, listen, I think we live in a world today which we have so many resources when it comes to gluten-free baking especially. Um, we have accessibility to so many flours that we didn't, like, my key foods down the street, um, I can get sorghum flour and like millet flour, mm. oat flour. Um, we've really come a long way in the past, I would say, five years. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think there's Caitlin, like where she kind of comes into this conversation, right? Mm. Like she doesn't, she doesn't know the answer. And is there an answer? Yeah. And we moved is. into the space of, yes, there is an answer. And then you move into the space of like, do you like the answer? Mm. You know, um, are you willing are you willing to, you know, kind of put in the effort to kind of to achieve that end? And um, yeah, I think it ultimately like it's 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 a journey. But, um, you know, I I think it's I think it's going to be OK, you know? Yeah. Gluten free baking today is way easier than it ever has been. And I think if it's just gluten free that you're trying to solve for, it's very easy. If you start introducing other things and you try to do like vegan baking or sugar-free, et cetera, et cetera, um, then it becomes more challenging. But just to be gluten-free, um, it's never been easier. We're going to take a short break. When we're back, we'll tackle Caitlin's gluten-free pizza predicament. Here at Dinner SOS, we love tackling your kitchen issues. But what if I told you there's a way to rescue dinner before it turns into an emergency? With expert insights from the test kitchen, cooking and entertaining tips, and a treasury of over 50,000 recipes, Bon Appetit and Epicurious are your lifelines to rescue any meal. And right now, our listeners can get 20% off an annual digital subscription including access to the user-friendly Epicurious app. Just use code SOS20 at bonappetit.com. That's SOS20 for a 20% discount on an annual digital subscription to Bon Appetit and Epicurious. Happy cooking. And don't worry, I'll still be here if your dinner plan self-destructs. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. 
Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Welcome back to Dinner SOS. Today, our dinner emergency comes from Caitlin, who called us from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania with a tough one. Gluten-free pizza dough. And Caitlin's tried a lot of recipes. Someone added me to a gluten-free Facebook group, and someone posted a recipe that involved Greek yogurt as the main liquid ingredient Mm -hmm. in it. That's the one I've had the most success with, and that one's good, but it's very, very sticky, and we found it didn't get crispy on the bottom. Yeah. Like, we really want—we like a crispy pizza, and it just—nothing I'm trying is getting crispy. Now, personally, I've developed only one gluten-free pizza dough recipe. And because of the limitations of gluten-free flours in general, it was more like a focaccia pan pizza style rather than the traditional approach where you build your pizza on a peel and transfer it to a hot pizza stone. Not really what Caitlin's looking for here. So I called in a gluten-free heavy hitter. I come from a family of pastry chefs. My grandparents had a pastry shop. And I was a pastry chef in my former life. Right. And so when I was diagnosed with gluten intolerance, I just started applying my knowledge in pastry into gluten-free baking. Aran Goyoaga is the force behind the gluten-free cooking and lifestyle brand Canel Eveni. She's a cookbook author, and from my experience, her gluten-free bread recipes yield incredible loaves that look and taste just like the real thing. Right now, actually, I'm working on a gluten-free bread baking book, and it's um, it's also been a challenge for, for me because, you know, I, I'm not just making one type of bread because there's a lot of science, especially with sourdough, understanding the difference, how bacteria works, how yeast works, temperature. And uh, there's also a great variance amongst brands of gluten-free flours and ingredients in general. So trying to get a consistent product across the board that people can replicate at home, it's sometimes also challenging. Well, if it's hard now, I mean, what was it like in the early years when you were making that pivot away from gluten? I feel like when I started, this is 2010, by then there were a lot more available flowers than maybe 20 years ago. Okay. And because, you know, working as a pastry chef, I was exposed to different flowers like buckwheat or amaranth. It wasn't unfamiliar to me, but bread was totally a new thing. And santan gum was really the key player. That's uh-huh. what everybody was using. But I think it was at that time around 2010 is when I, I remember Dan Leopard hearing him mention psyllium husk for gluten-free baking. But just that key revelation was just started a new whole experiment. So I have a recipe in my book, Canela Vini, a pizza dough recipe that I hope you share with Caitlin mm-hmm. and she can try it. I, I don't want to say it's like traditional wheat-based high hydration pizza mm-hmm. dough, but it does feel a little bit like that. Look, I normally love a competition, but the ultimate goal of this show is to solve our listeners' dinner emergency. So we're going all in on Aden's recipe. Also, let's be honest, there was no way I was going to be able to go head-to-head with her on gluten-free anything. So we got Caitlin on the phone to walk her through the science and art behind Aden's incredible gluten-free pizza dough, featuring the magic ingredient, 
mycelium husk. Well, first of all, pressure's on. Now I'm feeling <laughs> nervous about this. Um, nice to meet you, Caitlin. I wanted to know, what is your experience gluten-free baking, and pizza in particular? Um, so I have some friends who are gluten-free and one good friend who is actually actually a celiac. So she's my go-to for like everything gluten-free. And she recommended the King Arthur measure for measure flour, which is usually what I use. I just swap it one for one for my normal all-purpose flour. I have noticed that gluten-free flour tends to be a little thirstier than regular all-purpose. So I tend to have to add extra, you know, whatever the liquid happens to be in the recipe, but I've had success, you know, with cakes and cookies. And my crowning achievement was I made gluten-free, egg-free chocolate chip cookies last Christmas, and you couldn't even tell. Pizza-wise, I mean, that's kind of why I'm here, is I've had a hard time finding a recipe for a dough that is successful at all. Here's the thing, like, we're going all in on one recipe here. And <laughs> Okay. <laughs> it actually is really simple. Yeah, this is going to be crusty. It's going to be chewy. Yeah, and that's what my husband has said, you know, all the gluten-free pizzas that we've tried. He really misses that. Like, he'll look longingly at the pie that my daughter and I are eating because he misses that, like, stereotypical pizza texture. All right, well, this is going to be a challenge then. <laughs> I can't wait to hear so have you worked with yeast before? Uh, not very much. Okay. The biggest piece of advice I have for everybody who tries to bake gluten-free is to get yourself a kitchen scale. And I know a lot of people are intimidated by grams, but it's so much easier. There's huge inconsistency amongst brands on how they mill their flowers. So if you have something that's stone ground versus super fine, the their density and how much volume they take is going to be very different. We have a kitchen scale and we use it pretty frequently. So. Then perfect. Number two, the type of psyllium husk powder that you get is going to be very important because they're not all equally absorbent. And how the recipe absorbs the moisture is going to be key. It's going to be a wet mess or it's going to be like a really bouncy dough. And I included some recommendations in the recipe for a brand. Aran, could you walk Caitlin through the process of making the pizza dough? So essentially, it's like any other bread dough. You're going to activate your active dry yeast in warm water and with a pinch of sugar. You're going to let that get foamy. And then you're going to make a dough with potato starch, tapioca starch, brown rice flour, and sorghum flour. So there's four types of flour. The starch is going to provide the lightness, the crispness, with a little bit of salt and olive oil, you're gonna make a dough. In general, I like to hydrate the psyllium husk powder with water first. You put your psyllium husk in a bowl, and then you whisk in the water, and then you let it gel for like five minutes, and it's gonna become like jello. And the way I wrote the recipe, I mixed the psyllium with the dry ingredients, and then I added the water after. So either you activate it with the water first without any other flours, or you mix it all together and then you let the dough sit for five minutes to gel. But as soon as you use some bench flour and then you put your dough on it and you kind of need a little bit of that bench flour in, you're going to really see that it's almost like traditional dough. Got it. So either way, you're letting the psyllium husk sit and kind of absorb the liquid for five minutes. Then what? And then you're going to divide them into six pieces. You're going to shape each piece into a ball, and then you're going to let that proof until it rises. It's going to be almost double. And then 
for developing flavor, I like to wrap the whole sheet pan or the baking sheet in like a thin trash bag and put it in the fridge for overnight, even up to 24 hours. And that actually hydrates all the flowers really well. It's going to develop a lot more chewiness, flavor, and a little bit more elasticity because it's going to hydrate much better. And then once you pull from the fridge, you're good to go, good to shape? You let it rest about 30 minutes. Just to temper slightly? Yeah, to come to temperature. And then you roll it. You get a little bit of um, more brown rice flour as bench flour, and then you roll it with a rolling pin. And to be clear, by bench flour, I mean just like, you know, just whatever kind of flour you have on hand to sort of reduce friction on your surfaces. Yeah, that was going to be my question was, should I use like any kind of flour I have? Or is it just like, should I use the brown rice flour that's in the dough already? Honestly, you can use any flour. Um, Tapioca starch is also a great one because it doesn't really absorb into the dough as much. But because this is a wet dough, I like to use brown rice flour. Then when you roll it, you want to go as thin as you can. The edges, sometimes they might crack a little bit. So just be gentle. Uh, move the dough around quite a bit and then preheat your oven 500 degrees with a pizza stone in it. After the oven comes to 500 degrees, I like to leave it going for another 15 minutes. So to make sure the stone is actually thoroughly heated, then like I said, roll your pizza dough, put it on the pizza peel, slide it. This is par baking, slide it onto the stone, reduce oven temperature to 450 and bake it for about seven minutes. Then remove it at your toppings. It'll probably puff up a little bit, and that's okay because once you start putting the stuff on, it will deflate. Put your toppings on and then add it back in probably for another 15 minutes. Check the bottom, like just take a spatula, make sure it's uh, crispy and looks done. The thing with gluten-free breads is that it looks really crispy when you first take it out. And because there's a lot of moisture in it, as it sits, it's going to get softer. So if it looks super crispy, don't don't worry about it because it is it will soften a little bit. And I would say let it sit. And I know it's hard with pizza, but let it sit for five minutes before you eat it because it just needs like a minute to settle, the crumb to settle. And I think that's it. It's really simple, but like to get the the toppings and the crust to bake perfectly, you might have to try one and see how your oven does. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm glad to know it makes six, because then if I (laughs) screw up the first three, I at least have three that will hopefully be edible. I hope it doesn't take three. I hope not. Just one. (laughs) Just one to see the timing. It's like the sacrificial Um, pancake, right? The first one's always the worst. Totally. So we sent Caitlin Auden's recipe for gluten-free pizza dough and waited with bated breath for the results. After the break, we'll see how it went. Did you know that kids eat 1,095 meals every year each? Not even counting snacks. Honestly, being responsible for all those meals kind of sucks sometimes. But we've found a resource that actually helps and is funny too. Didn't I Just Feed You is a weekly podcast about feeding families hosted by two longtime food professionals, Stacy Billis and Megan Splawn. These ladies are not afraid to be candid and get real because as working moms, they know how hard it is to feed a family night after night. They joined me on an episode of Dinner SOS, but their show covers this topic week after week. From how to turn nachos into a legit family dinner to the magic of meatballs, solving the after-school snack problem to the mental load of being the family cook, they talk about it all. 
offering shortcuts, pro tips, techniques, and recipes along the way. Find Didn't I Just Feed You wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a thing. New episodes publish every Monday. You can also find Stacy and Megan on Instagram as at Didn't I Just Feed You. So I'm joined here once more by Aaron, and we, I mean, I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I'm dying to know how this went. (laughs) I know, nervous, palms are sweaty, you know, Um, we're we're just dying to know, like, what happened? It went really, really well. I took one bite of the pizza and just didn't stop smiling because it was like, oh my gosh, this is actually like pizza. (laughs) That's amazing. I was a little bit worried that we had freaked you out. <laughs> I was uh, I was definitely a little freaked out just because it seemed like a lot of steps and I've never had to make something that had to, you know, be needed and then proof on the counter and proof in the fridge. And it, it was a, a lot of steps. So it was a little intimidating, but it went really smoothly and it was the instructions were very clear and it turned out great. <laughs> Any issues? Well, the first pie, it did puff up around, just like you said, it would probably puff up when I par-baked it. And then one of the sides didn't quite flatten out enough. So that edge got a little bit crispy, crunchy, burned Mm. almost. Um, But really, that was, I think, the only issue I had. Did you par-bake all of them? I did. Yeah, good. I'm so used to my pizzas getting soggy in the middle that I just, I did it as a precaution so it wouldn't happen. Yeah, it's good, especially if your sauce is kind of wet. And Aran, like when, have you ever done this dough kind of at like grandma style, you know, like assembled in a rimmed baking sheet and then baked in like kind of high heat oven environment? I, have I made it on a baking sheet? I don't think I have. If if you were to make it on a baking sheet, do you mean like almost like a focaccia style that you're feeling? Oh, okay. Um, Yeah, you could. The only thing, it's so moist. The dough is so moist. I wouldn't really recommend proofing and then dimpling too much because I think it's going to get dense. Like Uh it wouldn't rise. It doesn't have that much structure that it would like puff up again. Really puff up. Okay. I've actually, uh, we've been, we just got a Nuni, the wood burning pizza oven, and we've been experimenting with it because sometimes the recommended super high temperatures are a little too high for this dough. Mm -hmm. But I would say on the pizza stone is it's the best it's way to optimal do it. for this. Yeah. Because here's why I'm asking, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the uni because, you know, in terms of like normal home, like ovens, they kind of top out at or about 500 degrees, right? And when you go to more of like an uni oven or like the Breville pizza oven, that's where you're sort of getting close to, let's say somewhere between like 700, maybe 900 ballpark. I've never actually used the uni, but I feel like you're unlocking like an order of magnitude more heat. Um, and I and I was kind of curious just because I feel like working on a pizza stone involves the need for situational awareness. You know what I mean? That like if you're assembling a pizza in a rimmed baking sheet, like you can afford to be a little bit more casual about the experience. Does that make sense? Yeah, I haven't, you know, I haven't tried that. So that would be a something to test. It just seems like it's, it'd be easier. Basically, what we're saying is I'm lazy. <laughs> <laughs> but I love that like Caitlin for 
for you, this was how you were conceiving of this exercise from the get-go. Let me be clear, like, this is not you asking to necessarily, like, simplify or provide a shortcut for the experience. I just, all all I want to signal is, like, you know, I think once you know how to work with a dough and make a dough work for you, you can potentially adapt it to slightly different techniques in terms of how you then work with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I'm curious, like, do you feel like pizza night could be a regular feature of your life now? Like now that you've worked with this dough once, do you feel like, you know, you kind of want to dip a toe back in? Um, How are you feeling about it? I definitely had to set aside time just because there was the overnight in the fridge portion of it. Um, But I mean, I've got four dough balls wrapped in plastic in the freezer that I can now, oh, I love that you know, you. just pull out and roll out and we have pizza. Yeah. yeah. And you you actually can skip that fridge time. When you slow down fermentation, it develops more of that yeasty flavor and it really hydrates your dough and it gives you more of chewiness. But if you're crunched for time, you can definitely skip Yeah. Well, it. and especially for this, I wanted to make sure I did all the steps. Um, <laughs> and I really do think it helped because that that chewiness is really what we were missing. My husband said it's the best pizza he's had in a long time. And I told him he doesn't have to say that just because it's me and just because it's going to be on a podcast. <laughs> um, but he said like that it was sort of between a flatbread and like a thin crust pizza because the edges got really crispy and it was still chewy in the middle, but it didn't sog out, which was the biggest problem I was having mm. with the doughs I had done in the past. Yeah. Well, I just think that's tremendous. And listen, you took a leap of faith for us, and I just want to recognize you for it. It's pretty amazing. And the fact that it worked, I mean, speaks a lot to the fact that Aaron wrote a pretty great recipe and put a lot of thought into this, you know? For sure. The thing I was most impressed with was when I rolled it out to actually make the pizza, it did like it was very, very clearly could not be tossed like or stretched like a regular pizza dough could, but it did have some spring to it. Like I would roll it out and it would spring back a little mm. bit. And I think it's just I had never done a yeasted dough before. So I think that's why I had never experienced that in a dough. Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's alive, you know, it's very alive. It yeah. was very active. <laughs> it's, it's got thoughts and ideas and opinions and wants pepperoni on the side. And... <laughs> Aran's recipe was the perfect match for Caitlin's pizza problem. Next up for Caitlin, shouting it from the rooftops. I'm excited to make it for other people because I think there's a lot of people who see the label gluten-free and they think it's like fat-free or sugar-free and like it's it doesn't like gluten-free doesn't necessarily mean that like it's less than like it's to, to me like this pizza is just as good as a gluten-full pizza if you have a dinner emergency on your hands write to us at dinner sos at bonappetit.com or leave us a voice message at 212-286-SOS1. That's 212-286-7071. You can find the recipe for Aran's gluten-free pizza dough in her cookbook, Canelle Vanille, nourishing gluten-free recipes for every meal and mood. We've also linked to a version of it in our show notes. You can find my recipe for a more focaccia-like gluten-free pizza crust, plus the rest of the Bon Appetit recipe archive on the new Epicurious app brought to you by Condé Nast. Just search Epicurious in the App Store and download today. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on your podcast app of choice and hit that follow button so you never miss an episode. Dinner SOS is a Condé Nast Entertainment original podcast. 
I'm your host, Chris Morocco. My co-host this week is Aran Goyoaga. Our producer is Michelle O'Brien. Peyton Hayes is our associate producer. Leah Kashar is our assistant producer. Jake Loomis is our studio engineer. Amar Lal makes this episode. Next week, we help listener Sophie conquer an extremely relatable fear. I am afraid of cooking chicken and I need help. Why do you know so much about psyllium husk? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know me. I read, I read shit all the you time. You read? Oh, yeah. It's like in the newspaper. <laughs> well, my dad. Well, I don't know if my dad will approve me saying this, but yeah, my dad used to drink psyllium husk uh-huh. <laughs> um, every day for, uh, for years. Hey, listeners. Chris Morocco here. If you find yourself in a dinner crisis, the Epicurious app comes to the rescue. Not only will you unlock over 50,000 recipes from Bon Appetit and Epicurious, but you'll also receive daily personalized recommendations based on your unique preferences and dietary needs. Head to the Apple App Store and download the Epicurious app to kickstart your seven-day free trial today. Don't miss out on this culinary adventure. Start your free trial and let the Epicurious app be your kitchen hero. Happy cooking.